Thank you. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. My name is Michael Anthony Ingram. Tonight, my very special guest is Nicole Varone. Nicole is the author of the new book of poetry, Nest of Stars, from Atmosphere Press. Nicole, how are you tonight? I'm so good. How are you this evening? I'm quite well. I'm quite well. Let's begin this journey together. All right? Okay. All right. Nicole, what is poetry? So um, I've I've given a lot of thought to this, especially um, during my time teaching. And um, the longer that I observe great poets, I feel like the theme arises that, you know, a life of a poet typically involves some initial ache or some brokenness. And um, even though no one's really free from that, poetry seems to be that um, that rope that that you climb out of of this depth that you're forced into potentially um, it, art is like that it's it's messy it's creating an order from chaos um, and so that's that's a, a bit of what poetry is to me poetry is um, yeah I, I've I've thought in the past week long about about this and I. Um, I was telling a friend of mine, I think that poetry is like a sister that I always needed. It, it's like that internal, um, that internal language that, that puts um, words and wordplay into the inexpressible feelings. It's, it's a way to express the things that are otherwise unable to be expressed easily. Oh, wow, very nice. I've never heard it described as a sister that I've always needed. That is so nice. <laughs> why? Why? Yeah. Let's look at it from a, a different vantage point. What makes it important for us? Why do we do what we do? Uh, so, so what makes it important to me is... Um, I, I, I wrote about, uh, about this this mistake that we can make in life where we um, are are so busy that we, um, and it's very cliche, but there's so much truth in it where if, if we are still, if we practice that art of stillness, there's so much to be seen. And I have found that um, in, in silence, if you give silence long, you know, if you give yourself enough time and space in silence that, you'll start hearing um, this beautiful rhythm of life underneath all of the babble, all of the, um, all of the surface of things. Um, and and poetry is important because it calls you to a deeper place. And um, I've described it before as the relationship between the spirit and the flesh, right? It's, it's those words that, um, that we use to describe and make sense of, of, of ache, of despair, and, and you know, inversely of, of the hope and love that, that's present. But it's that relationship, it's that conversation between our flesh and, and our spirit. Oh, wow, very nice. Wow. I, I'm already stunned. Thank you so much for sharing just that little piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really sets the stage for what we plan to go tonight. Very, very nice. Now let's talk about Nest of Stars. What inspired you to write the book? So I would say that I never set out to write the book. I, I, I just, I, um, it just in a, from a personal perspective, I, um, I had children at a very young age. Um, I had them as, step, as stepping stones. They were all two years apart, and I was 23 when I had my first daughter, and I have um, I have four daughters total. And when the third moved out and went away to school, um, I finally had what felt like an empty nest. And um, 
I, I had, I knew myself well enough to know that if I gave myself over to the craft of writing that I wouldn't be the mother that I wanted to be. And it was important for me to, to give them everything they needed in the way of nurture and attention. And I put everything that, that was kind of, uh, and I, you know, we'll talk about this later. I'm sure the, the, uh, the conflict between the writer's voice and the, and the, um, the voice that we use to communicate with the people in our space. But um, I, I was, I knew myself well enough to know that if I were going to be writing that I would have to hide away. Um, I have to write in solitude and I, and I write marathon style. So I, I can't just give myself to little pieces of it. So once my house was empty pre COVID actually, um, I had a flood of creativity that um that I had the time and space finally to give attention to. And I was, I was writing daily and I was writing a lot and I um, was feeling really happy about the work that I was doing. And I was at the place um, in, in my life where I felt confident enough to stand up for, for, you know, taking that time to, to devote to those things that, I'd put to the side for so long. And then, so once the once I realized that I had quite a collection assimilated, I I submitted just a collection to the New Yorker and um, got picked up by Atmosphere Press, which uh, was what has ended up being like just the introduction to lots of friends that I had been missing in my life for so long. All right, very nice. Now, what was, as you think about your background in history, was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Oh, well, my first introduction to poetry um, happened when I was pretty young. My, um, I wrote about this in my bio, but my, I, my mother's youngest brother was, uh, was taken tragically in a car accident, and he was a poet. And when, um, so I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' farm, and his poetry was hanging in his bedroom, and I studied it. I was fascinated by, I was fascinated by the verse, and um, because I spent so much time there, um, and be, and and I spent so much time outside. Um, I feel like the connection, I feel like the combination of those two things, of reading his verse and then taking my, you know, my little bare feet outside on the farm and, and just listening to the cadence of the world, right? Um, yes. I, I believe that's where I was introduced to poetry. I think that there's poetry threaded all through all of the rhythms of, of the universe. And, and mm-hmm. I couldn't help but be set by, by all of those rhythms and the bird song and the you know the the cows and the and the way that the um the trees spoke when everything else was quiet there was nothing there but dust and and flowers and gardens and and everything natural there wasn't any interruption and i began to i think be tuned by that um you know obviously it was obviously unintentional but it's hard. It's hard to think of another thing that would have happened because, um, you know, until I was maybe in sixth grade, I really had no other poetry that was introduced to me. I would say. All right. Well, it's, it's that time. Please share a poem. <laughs> okay, I would love to. Um, I thought about the the order to share these in, and and if if I if I step back for a moment, I would say that you know injury is is the first sort of thing that brings you to the point of needing to say something deep, right? It, it, whether it's a, a time of loss or a time of of pain, and usually those are the moments where we're still. And so um, I wrote this piece called Scar that I want to share with you first, and um, and then we can chat about it. This is called Scar. Severity of a severed nerve. Entrance through three levels of skin security. Ultimate instant intensity. 
Applied pressure intended to kill flow. Bath plug, cork snug, stops blood and slowly strangles feeling. Pain creates memory, notching an end when the scene sting suspends a clock. Surgical gauze, pressure blankets, explicative cope rope, ultimate exit of the raised broken offering and surrender. And that's the end. Thank you. Tell me more about Scar. <laughs> so... So scar was prompted by an actual um, by an actual injury where I I had quite the I had quite the injury to um, to my thumb and I ended up just you know having to hold it in the air for several hours and then I drove myself to the ER and, and had it all stitched up and at the ER um, the PA offered me a rag to bite on it was it was it was quite a scene and, and I was reflecting on that. The next day, this was during that time where I was I was having, you know, um, my my flood of writing, and and I I thought about I thought about the the way in which um, there are all these there are all these layers, right? There's all these layers of of skin, first of all, that protect what's precious inside, and when when that's broken there there's pain that comes and and this you know ends up happening on on so many levels it felt very spiritual to me when there's brokenness there's a pain that's there's a pain that's exposed right and in spite of all of the the means of of securing oneself and of you know putting up these borders and having this this thick skin there's still a memory that's attached to um, to that that time where where the where the where the clock stops. You know, ultimately when when something is ended, the clock the clock stops, and and nothing is the same after that. And, and so so the scar is like a braided is a braided patch over you know something that was difficult. And um, it's it's the you know the the end of this piece just says it's the it's the ultimate exit of a raised broken offering and surrender, where you realize that that you know the the smooth skin of innocence will never be the same. But also in surrendering, in surrendering to that, there is a, you know, there is a, there's a strength, there's a strength underneath. So that's what Scar, um, that's what Scar sort of, sort of touches on a bit for me. It's funny though, when I wrote this, it was kind of, (laughs) it was kind of, it was kind of, you know, the, the moment was, was fairly humorous because I, I, I was a little bit delirious driving myself to the ER and I, you know, okay. had to drive, I had to drive, I had to drive home with my thumb up because I needed to keep the, uh, the blood flow down. And I was just, I had my thumb up in the, in the window, just giving everyone I was driving by the thumbs up. So, um, <laughs> so there was a, there was a mixture of, there was a mixture of humor, but, um, <laughs> That that was the that was the story of of this piece though I you know I'm tortured by thinking over and over what do you about mean? things and and tell me well, more tell me more I, what about I mean that. is that what, what I mean is that you know I I was I became a I became a deep thinker not because I wanted to become a uh, you know someone who who thought through everything but. It would be much. It would be much simpler to uh, to be lighthearted all of the time. But this, you know, this yeah. calling to be a poet and to overthink things and to see into the life of things is, you know, can be tedious. So I'm thankful for the humor that that also um, I'm able to to balance those things out with. It allows me to keep going without burrowing too deep into, you know, 
into the dark truth of things, right? <laughs> oh, yes, I like that. Well, let me ask this question. Do you think, and your work is very emotional, I won't say this, I don't mean it in a, in a, in a, in a negative way, but there's a lot of emotion in your work. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Oh well, you know it's interesting that that um, it's interesting that you that you asked that. I was I was thinking earlier, and I um, I was thinking about how you you rarely ever meet a poet that says, you know, my life's been pretty easy and balanced and uneventful, right? I just enjoy right. True. this mode of this mode of expression. This is just the way that I choose to write. Usually, when I meet a poet or someone who has an affinity for poetry. My first question is, what happened to you? What mm. did you what What did you have to What did you have to climb out of? What was it that you needed to What was it that What was it that pressed you into the depth? And 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 how are you now? So so I um you know it's it's hard to speak on behalf of. Of, of other poets, but but that's just what I've observed. But you know, there yeah. there usually is something. There usually is something that calls you to a depth, and um, whether that's a gift or a curse, I'm not sure. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. It just is. Oh wow. <laughs> well, share another poll. Share another poll. Okay. Okay. I'd be glad to this. Um, this particular piece is called equation, and if I, you know, we're stepping back out, if I were, you know, if I were giving you an order to this, and so if we talked about injury first, then I would say that mm-hmm. this is, this is, this is the observational standpoint of, of who I am. Like, I, I've had the injury, right? I've had the injury. I, I've survived it. I have a little bit of strength, and now, now I'm, this is, this is an observation, and um, I, I used the play on, um, I was, I was, you know, just helping my daughter with, with equations. And I, I thought long and hard about what equations are. And, and I think that they're applicable also to, um, I think they're applicable to the difficulties of, of situation. So that was the motivation for this. And she happens to be in middle school. So, you know, there's all sorts of surrounding difficulties. But this is called equation. The answer cannot be found without first having a problem. The solution is greater than the problem. The quandary when a negative is introduced to any equation requires balance. Turn on the light, ignore other problems, subtract and reevaluate, identify the positive. When no value is assigned and negative equations cause coordinates to subtract from a linear infinite trend towards a solution, or when zero is left on the line, the addition of positive factors multiplied to cross infinite lines from the center perpendicular to the diameter of a perfect sphere, positive proofs produce infinite and absolute. And that's it. That's equation, Michael. <laughs> you are a deep thinker. <laughs> <laughs> you are a deep thinker. Equations. <sighs> Please share another. Please share another poem. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, let's Let's. Uh, I would like to share. Let's share, um, Heron. You know, you and I are both from from the South, right? Yes, yes, we are. Yes, we are both from the South, and um, so I spent some time at the shore, and um, I was thinking about. I was thinking about the. Um, just a juxtaposition of of this beautiful heron bird in the mud. Right, she was. Um, she was just. She was. Um, so she was so exquisite 
and and her feet were just were just you know planted in this muddy mire of a marsh in the in the Southland here. So this is this is called Heron. Southern marsh fenced in cattails is governed by the boa and bodice of a blue heron whose debutante posture defies the mud-battered glue on her sticky shoes. Mosquitoes prey and snip like neon zip signs. Soon as you turn to sin, live oaks host ghosts in a haunted historical wind. Spanish moss itches, and unrest is under the rest of our somatic symptoms. One hundred years, cholera, longing, echo blue aligned malaise. You cannot dive or die here in bird. The creek is shallow as a weather word. Nothing breathes at easy leaves. Solitude isolates then inhales another disease, viral as torpedo heat. Neither equator nor pole begin or end the circled world, and without flight, we would rather freeze. It's cold to know, it burns to believe. Assuredness, ginger is here and seek, infinite as these moments feel, deceptive and fleeting as a southern marsh breeze. And that's Heron. We've had scars. We've had Heron. <laughs> we've had <laughs> equations. How does a poem begin for you? Is an idea, a form, or an image? Um, so I would say that my emotions and ideas play this mental this mental tag, right? They're um, they're sort of woven into each other. My my emotions um, sort of form ideas, and then these ideas, you know, look strong, and then emotions step in. But but typically, um, my poems begin when I have this liberty and space to be alone. It's you know, it, it's for me. My my life is so full, and um, I I. Have to sort of, um, I have to sort of carve out time so that I can listen, and I, um, I would say that it, it happens in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's an image. Sometimes it's something that I pass while I'm driving a row of pine trees. Sometimes it's, you know, sitting. I, I wrote a piece called "Him" that I'll share with you next. Um, I wrote that after after sitting sitting with my brothers by a campfire. Um, it, it was a it was a moment where everything felt like you were witnessing like the honey of life, like the sweetest parts mm. of life, and and it's those moments that that you know I don't have to remember them by putting them down in a note. They just they they become part of who I am. They become they become imprinted in my um, in my disposition, and and when I respond to them, when I capture them. It, it's it's the same as a sketch for me. It's like it's like having this this word art um, that surrounds this particular either instant in my memory, whether it was you know the, a, a correspondence that I had that that was was impactful, or if it was you know something that I was reading that I that I had to I had to respond to it because it moved me um, in in such a way. Um, so, so it does, it begins with it begins with an idea. Oftentimes, like the what the, uh, the the poem I shared called equation began with an idea. I sort of let my mind think about what an equation was and, and all mm-hmm. the things that that are you know are added to it. You know, we have things added to our situations and 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 we have things taken away. And and when it's all said and done, then we have this. You know, we have. We have absolute truth at at the end of it, and um, it, or maybe we have absolute darkness at the end of it. Maybe maybe everything is as you know. Maybe sometimes it is just a zero left on the line. But that began with an idea. Um, the the image sometimes is is motivation. I am you know I 
um, I, I love I love art and I need it and I'm moved by it and I also love music and I need music and I'm moved by it and there's rarely a moment in my space whether it be in the car or in my home when music isn't playing and I feel like poetry is that music of words and if if someone would let me I would speak in poetry to them all the time <laughs> but I happen to I, I happen to just you know not live with I, I don't live with poets I don't live with um I live with scientists and um so that you know you know how it goes <laughs> well, you know, your speaking voice is so clear. It's so it's lyrical in a sense. What is the relationship? Oh, that you. is the question. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? So, th- my speaking voice is. Um, but oftentimes, it's oftentimes very nurturing. I. You know, I take care of people. I am, you know, I, um, I'm i a nurturer, and I find it very easy to love, and I am, my, my heart is pretty soft. Um, my, my, writing, my writing voice is, my writing voice, I would say, is, is the patient one of the two. And it's always, you know, even after all of that time, when I set it aside so that I could raise my children, when I, when I had a moment for it again, it was there, and it had not grown any weaker. It was there waiting. It was there just waiting for me to, to be available. And, um, and so that's the relationship between my speaking voice and my written voice. But, you know, it's funny my thoughts are sort of, my thoughts are sort of nineteenth century language and I, I have to uh, I joke about this but I give me an example. No <laughs> No <laughs> No, I I can't do that. I can't do that without several glasses of wine, maybe. <laughs> but but I go about my, you know, I go about my daily life, and I always am writing. I always am writing in my mind, whether I'm, you know, begrudgingly doing the dishes or, you know, or in my flower garden. But and when I'm working in my flowers, it's the worst, you know, time to, to have, like, a, a read of my mind because maybe not the worst time. It depends on who, who is, who is having to listen to me, but, um, Mm -hmm. so they, they, they talk and I'm a, I'm a Gemini. So I, you know, have this twin thing too. So they're both present. I would say they're, they're both present in full, in full force, but the writer's voice is, is very kind and very patient. And I do, you know, I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for it. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of your influences, and what makes them great in your eyes? Uh, this was this is uh, that that is one of the most difficult uh, unless we could spend you know several hours on this. But I would say I would say that the first the first time that I that I heard any poetry um, recitation was. Um, was Robert Frost's Fire and Ice, and I, um, mm-hmm. I I do love the I do love the cadence of of Frost. Um, I, I there are um, there are places in my um, in my memory that are reserved for Frost, uh, for birches and for um, stopping by the woods and Fire and Ice and um, you know. So so many so many pieces of frost. I was introduced, you know, as a sixth grader, as a as a as a, a young language arts student. And then I think the next the next writer that was impactful to me as a student um, was um, I had a fantastic American literature instructor, and and so I learned all of the transcendentalists and. I fell in love with all of them and and fell in love with that movement. But the most impactful thing that happened that particular year in American literature was um, when I when I first heard Maya Angelou. And I actually, I named my second daughter after her. 
I I watched her and I watched her in a video recite "Still I Rise" and I can still I can still pull up the thrill of my pulse racing um, to hear and to watch her face and to to watch the steady gaze that she delivered that inner strength and talked about the diamonds at the meeting of her thighs. And I just, Mm -hmm. I was never the same. I was never the same after hearing her. Um, In a more, in a, in a more, um, let's see, I, I cannot, I can't let this question pass without without mentioning um, Bob Dylan, who is my favorite vocalist. And he is one of my favorite poets, and I would say he is my favorite preacher of all time. Mm. If I ever were to to, uh, to say that I had a favorite pastor, I would say that he shepherds my soul, this this villain man. I love his, um, I love his just trumpet for social justice. Um, Idiot Wind with God on Our Side, uh, The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll, Chimes of Freedom. I just, you know, I, I love this man's work. I love this man's work. Um, and then there's, you know, they're, they're, they're the classics. They're all of the, the classics. Tennyson um, and the lyricism of Tennyson and the Lady of Shalott, there are, there are lines that I could just, you know, stream out from from Tennyson that just changed who I was. And then um, I would say Mary Oliver, the way that Mary Oliver describes that you don't have to walk on your knees a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You just have to, you have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. When I read that line, I wanted to, I just wanted to weep. I wanted to, I wanted to throw my arms around her knees. I wanted to, to dance. I, uh, I just, you know, she, um, she's a huge influence. And then there, you know, there are, there are others. I, I love Cormac McCarthy. Not, they're not all poets. You know, I, I, I studied poetry. Uh, I studied poetry in, um, in school and I, and I still read some poetry. Mostly I memorized the things that I needed to memorize and they stuck to me and I didn't have to put a lot of effort into memorizing it. Um, I just loved mm-hmm. it like I love songs, and and it be and, you know so I I have these little pieces that that uh, just became who I was. But um, oh my gosh! But even the the poetry of the and the lyricism of Willa Cather and um, yes. there are uh, Herman Melville. Um, there's you know there's so many beautiful quotes throughout Moby Dick that I. You know, once I, I came across them, I was sad that I had waited so long mm. to be on that sh- to be on that ship with, you know, with the captain, Beautiful. right? Beautiful. So, um, Beautiful. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. This sounds good. Thank you. Um, I thought the next piece I could, I should share is a, a bit of music since you shared music with us. Um, this is called, this is called Frozen Jazz.
Murano glass tour crashed sad, but the sound pitch perfect rat-a-tat tune like Poe's swanky catbird. It was pushed, he said, it swang like a swing dance dive man, then burst into heartache, screaming like a cymbal flash, bits and splinters lashed. What a sick drumstick hit, just like that, turquoise eyeglass. Rushed to the bleed like a savior to fade the stage lights on incomplete jazz. Want to watch that shipwreck sink me, a little front page news, titanical confusion, haywire, live wire, gravitational blues. Think of all that baseline score, all that hi-hat encore, all the jazz froze when morning hit it hard. She pulled the strings, tied the pieces to a bathtub ring, paper thin, undertaker man, soot-eyed chimney sweep band, slipped up to the tracks, mopped waves to the can. Last call, SOS address, elbow grease and close-ups. Throw a rope, the tour is done. The jazz all froze when the tiles explode. And that was frozen jazz. Frozen jazz. You know, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others (laughs) edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? What is my take on on changing poetry from the original form in in the way of yes. editing? You mean? Yes. Oh my yes. God. Okay. So so I would say that it's the same. It's the same way that I sketch. I, I set out to sketch this one particular, you know, shape. Like I this morning, I was trying to draw. Um, a picture of of a calf that I'd passed in a in a pasture not too long ago, and I'd wrecked it. I, I I have no artistic instruction, and so I have enough creativity to make it into something different, right? And and so mm-hmm. anything that I ever like this frozen jazz piece, um, I I decided to write it because I I honestly had a piece of Murano glass break on my back patio and I was sad. I was sad about it, but it had a cool noise when it hit the concrete and it, and I liked how it sounded and I wow. I actually I actually I saved the pieces because they were this beautiful blue color and and I took those pieces and at the time, I was on this kick of making mobiles, and I, I made a mobile that actually does hang above my bathtub, and it's all of these beautiful pieces of Murano glass, and that's what Frozen Jazz is about. Like, it was singing, and then, you know, everything everything came to an abrupt end. So, yes, editing, I was, you know, editing is everything. I, I, I could never, I could never share a piece that, hadn't been combed that hadn't been like that didn't have its shoes put on that you know I couldn't share a piece that just came right out of of the womb without you know being dressed in in some kind of of some kind of of beauty nothing nothing usually is ready to be introduced right when it's born. It needs a little time, and that's what editing is for me. Um, so yeah, I have to, I have to change it. There, there are lines sometimes that I hear in my mind that, that I, I would, I wouldn't touch, and they end up being maybe the title or, or a nucleus of sorts. But very, very rarely does anything look. It, even remotely the way that it did when it when it first, you know, scratched over some white surface, right? Did I answer your question? Yes, you did. <laughs> I'm still thinking about the fact that the the piece fell and the sounds that you made, you made something out of nothing in a sense, and I like that. I like that a lot. I, yeah, uh, I did. You you know, I torture. I probably torture everyone around me. I I, I happen to. Um, I happen to live with a lot of um, a lot of people that that like things in order, and I were I swim upstream against that, and I, I anticipate to keep everyone happy, but um, you know I I'm sort of I'm sort of a mess. I, I sort of break things sometimes. So. Well, my question will be to you then. I can't really. I think I can tell. 
that writing energizes you. It sounds as if it does. Um, so my question oh, is whether writing energizes yeah. or exhausts you, because it, it, it's, I, I'm sensing that I, that you're teetering on that line, whether it's exhaustion or energy. I don't know. I could be wrong, so correct well, me. Uh, oh, no, no. It's a beautifully wonderful question. It's a wonderful question. And I, I would say that, you know, the pieces that I feel really proud of are ones that that started out as like this internal struggle. And mm. typically I, you know, w- once I once I sense that internal struggle, I yeah, I've gotten I've gotten better and I I've become quicker at identifying it. But but typically I will just, you know, muse on that for days. And then once I can't handle it any longer and have no answers for it, I'll sit down with it and I'll write and I will address it and I will tame, I will tame it with my words. I will, you know, take this emotion that's kind of trying to mess with, with my head and I will, I'll tame it by putting it into a beautiful verse and looking at it and reframing it in a different way so that, you know, I can, I can take control over the space of, of my thoughts. So in that way, it, it can be exhausting while it's in the process, while it's, you know, while I'm shaving away the, while I'm shaving away the darkness, while I'm, you know, fighting off the darkness of it. And then once it's just like this pure light form, then I'm always proud of it. And I'm all, and I'm, it, it always energizes me. I never feel happier than when I complete a poem or I complete a sketch or I feel like I have then, you know, participated in creation and I've set, I've set order to chaos and I've, you know, participated in this beautiful thing that I was made to do and that is to, to take, you know, or to just, to, to be a vessel and to, to invite, you know, this this arrangement into something that otherwise had no form. Well, let me ask this question. So much has happened in our world or is happening in our world. Pandemic, you name it, we're going through it. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? So... You know, it, I, I would say that it just it goes back to it goes back to that. You you rarely ever meet a poet who just says this is the this is the uh, method of communication I've chosen. You know, usually a poet has been broken, and I would say that the broken the broken among us are the ones that end up having the most compassion, unless you know they turn very cynical. But I would say that that is the breeding ground for compassion, right? I mean, I've been, you know, I, I've I've been forgiven for so much. So I rarely ever, I rarely ever meet someone who has this, you know, blunder that I feel the, I feel the, I never feel as if I have a place to criticize. And so I think the compassion and love that can be transferred through verse is 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 a, is a it's an avenue of hope through the darkness and you know the only the only problem that we have is 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 the ability to to gain attention long enough from you know all of the forlorn faces to have them to be still enough and to give attention enough to things that are deep and to things that are true and to things that are beautiful. And I think art and music and um, poetry specifically can be so transformational to, um, to offer hope back to the hopeless. Wow. But it can't be done in a way... It, Thank you. It can't be. It can't be communicated in a way that's critical, though. I just, you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel so strongly about that. I, I, I hate the us versus them 
mindset. I just feel like that, okay. that is just such a uh, just a tragic a tragic perspective, and it's not one that has any compassion wound together in it. Wow. Do you think yeah. that you were meant to be a poet? <laughs> yes. Tell yes. me more. I kind of figured you would, but tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> uh, I know I was meant to be a poet. It's it's one of All the right. it's one of the things. It's one of the um, it's one of the outlets and avenues that has traveled with me for as long as I can remember. I um, when I am with my work. I am at peace. I think that um, I think that I can do many other things. I, I, I could do a number of other things, but when I think mm-hmm. about the second part of my life, right? When I think about you know getting getting this part of my life behind me, where I've where I've done this raising of beautiful children, I do see myself writing continually um, until till the very end. And, and that gives me just this wild thrill. And I, so that is, that's the, uh, that's the litmus test for me. When my pulse starts racing, when I consider myself, you know, seated and, um, and writing and, and, and there are, there are, a million ideas I have that wait for me. I I really just you know I I'm just I, I sort of am just waiting and I'm I'm so looking forward to that. In fact, um, I've shared that you know when when people ask when you know we go around the table or or whatever situation it is when you know if you could do anything, my dream is to just travel the perimeter of the world and write a poetic map of the universe just just you know sailing and watching and writing and just the a description of of all of the places that I haven't seen yet that is that's what I'm I'm living for Well you know it's funny my questions are getting in the way of your sharing your wonderful wonderful work please share another poem Oh Oh God. Okay. And I hope that I'm staying true to. I hope yes. that I'm even answering your questions, Michael. Yes, you, you are. Know, I've been I mean, I, to, I'm thoroughly I've been, enjoying our, 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 our talk. I'm so glad. I've been waiting to uh, to speak poetry. I don't get to do this on a very regular basis, and it's just joy to me. So thank you. I'm going to read this piece called Hen. This is um, um, my brother is not a, a fan of poetry, which is fine, but um, he still in, inspires me. So I, this is this this happened. This piece happened after a night of sitting with him um, by the fire, and and he literally reached up into um, the tree where one of his hens was already roosting and and got it got her down for me so I could hold it because he knew that that would just make me so happy so this is this is called hen the feather dust hen paces and pecks at her pie in the sky crimping crusts with forked feet Knuckles of bow bone, a sleight of hand, mind you, entitled Morning and Evening, One Ordinary Day, an illegible chicken scratch. In the rich, candied landscape of deciduous delicacies, his hardware store hen clucks content as an imperial child. Philosophers prescribe walk in simplicity 25 miles or so for proper contented rest by close of day as effective as being held or holding my experimental philosophies convey. A thrill oil teems under wing. She snuffs the hen house, ignores the dangerous could-be wolves, and at dusk burrows in a roost, gargling into a fermented coo. He could reach and eased her down for me, his own wingspan, broad, expansive hands know the coaxing of her grip. I settle and let her nest in my arms, exquisitely dressed in a nightgown of blush eyelash ruching. Rooting in the bend, I am her limb, 
In the wood where fire reigns, the thrill of warm, fragile care is like the ascent into a split oak. Fragile enough to die or brave enough on chilly tips of October to hide my bones in the crook of your limb. And that's ten, Michael. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, the cover of your book is quite breathtaking. Tell us about the process for coming up with the cover of the book. Okay. So the process of coming up with the cover was asking my friend Sarah if I could use a piece of her artwork. And this this actually is 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 a is a work of my friend Sarah's and she um has been a friend of mine for God, um you know, a long time, maybe nearly 20 years, and um, we've sort of grown up together. And mm-hmm. this was this was a gift that 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 she um, that she gifted me with this this beautiful um, this beautiful offering of a cover for her. Oh, it's beautiful! It's beautiful. Again, it's breathtaking. I really, really like it. I really do, and it sets the tone for what's to come. I believe. So uh, I commend you and your friend. It's, it, you you make a gr- a great pairing, a great pairing. Now, <laughs> <laughs> what surprised you most from writing the book? What surprised me the most? Yes. Um, what surprised me the most was the amount the amount and the just the volume of work that had you know I, that that was just flowing out over a six month process um i was surprised by i was surprised by the um the variance of topics um i was surprised by my my ability to be disciplined. I'm not, you know, I I have a discipline for a few things like drinking coffee. I'm very disciplined and and you know, um having happy hour. I'm fairly disciplined in happy hour, but but other okay. disciplines have always been a struggle. <laughs> other other disciplines have always been a struggle to me. And this this uh when I put the book together, I I've developed a discipline of of writing and editing and and wrapping up a work, you know, in a particular time frame, and I sort of set those parameters for myself. and And I found that um, with with quiet and with time, it was uh, it, it surprised me. That's that's what surprised me the most was my ability to find a discipline for this particular art form. Mm. I've never had had it before, I think. No, please continue, continue. Go ahead. I I was just going to say, when, when, so for instance, when I was, when I was a college student and I wrote, I usually wrote out of like this, you know, despair or um, aggravation or, or hurt. And so Mm -hmm. once I found myself in a happier place, the writing wasn't, you know, so that I could survive anymore. It was just, you know, it became an art form. And, and because I wrote so often through college and those years, I had the, the, uh, the exposure to great work and I had, you know, I had, I had practiced a bit of the editing process. And so, but this time I wasn't really writing out of sadness. I was writing out of joy. Oh, wow. That is so nice to hear. You're writing out of joy. That touched me. I'm so glad. Yes. If you had to convince a friend or a colleague to read your book, what would you tell them? Uh, oh, I, well, I'm a terrible salesperson. <laughs> I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to convince anyone who didn't want to read it. I haven't, well, you know, they I, I, to try to, they, I try to they be polite, and they were like, but I will, <laughs> I, I will answer, I will answer your question, nevertheless. Okay. So I would Thank say, so I would say, the, <laughs> the way that I would describe it would be just, you know, it's just a celebration of, 
of the art of stillness. And it's just an invitation to to think a bit deeper than you typically would potentially think. And it's just a it's just a focus on on simplicity. It's all that it is. But I've found that, you know, children are are so full of joy and I, 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 want, I want this to feel like an invitation back to something that feels very primal and childlike and innocent while not dismissing the pull of, you know, enticement. I mean, it, it doesn't dismiss any of that truth, but it's just an invitation to, it's an invitation to refocus on the beauty and the art of stillness, which I think is, you know, is underrated in in mm. grandiose ways. Well, we have time for two more poems. Please favor us with two more. Oh, good. Okay, let's see. Um, and speaking of just being still, I'm going to um, to read this this piece called Hold, and it's honestly about holding someone. To hold someone in a sleep slows the hurried world. The care not to stir them, a sweet marveling lifts eyes to what you hurried by. Clear focus dialed to the wren outside her proud chest, puff little pipe. All that busyness blinds, stopping to hold spotlights fragile, silent pencil. Woodpecker, fourth note deep, oblivious his sound pounds hammer to wood of coral bells. But the baby wakes and walks down. If you hold my attention, I give it like a tithe, you see, 10%. The other 90 is fat is fantastically spent. Wise ones learn, hold, never be captive, but captivate. Hold steady. Hold your tongue, eyes of wisdom, hold me. And that was hold. (laughs) And um, the last piece, you said we had time for one more piece, Michael. Yes, yes, please. We have time for one piece. Well, this is one of the last pieces, and this is actually the last piece in the the work. And um, this, you know, will be just a... A cathartic um, move back to to what you know what started started this new vision for me, and that's um, that's my nest. And so this is called Still Life, and I am fascinated by the bowerbird. I don't know if you know anything about bowerbirds, but they have quite no. the they have quite the um, the habits of just you know art collection and and they'll they'll choose a particular color and I'm fascinated by their by their ways so this is called still life this bowerbird nest I rest in one vintage green postal box two emerald sages three lime peacocks on tinsel ivy all hang in still life pose but not always so once fluttered with immediacy eggshells seashells, rattles, and rails. When chirping ended, the kaleidoscope show and crowning prances, a thousand little seed piece to tip a nestled chorus, transformed into an emotional fall with no prophetic wings. The birds just bloomed. Green, breathtaking, bowered ears, a tower full of flapping, out on a limb, strands and strings of heels and hairpins, silver stitches, cocoa van, like the wild tearing tees of a wrapping paper. But tide pools swirl, the young birds gaze adrift on the cocktail bay, bower boys strut orange and gray, a new collection, stronger lens arrange trinkets in woodland hay. When the bower nest emptied, sunset led me to another. I exhaled long and low with shiny eyes like my mother, 
while those grand strand birds warble throated culture hum dirges and morph into still life. Once space is shared, don't fear the end of a bowerbird show, but consider the price of a nest that's cold. Lost dreams alone will make you old. And that's that's the end, Michael. Wow. Lost dreams alone will make you old. <laughs> oh, I like you are incredible. Absolutely oh, Michael. incredible. I have thoroughly enjoyed this hour with you. Your poetry oh. is vivid, it's rich, it's it's deep, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's amazing. And I wish you nothing oh but the best. Wish you nothing Michael, but the best. I wish only the same for you. I wish the same the same to you. Thank you for spending time with me. It was so nice oh, of yes. you. A nest of stars, everybody. A nest of stars. So until next time, I'd like to wish all of you out there, be safe, be careful, take care. And as I state every week, let poetry ring. Good night to all of you. Good night, Nicole. Good night. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.